The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. As we continue on in our study from Mark, we have made it to chapter 5. And today, the theme from the month is the power and healings of Jesus. And we see Jesus in Mark chapter 5 show his authority and power over demons, over disease, and over death. All three of those. These are amazing stories that Mark is sharing with us. And today's sermon is, Your Faith Has Healed You, from Mark chapter 5. I wonder what it would be like if Jesus shows up in town. Right? What, what would it be like to have the Lord Jesus Christ actually walking the streets of Centennial? Well, Sidlow Baxter uh, writes this. He's an Australian uh, preacher from a generation ago or so. When Jesus came to these people, he came to do good. Everywhere around these, those shores of Galilee, he had bestowed blessings such as had never been known before. He had healed the sick, cleansed the leper, cured the cripple, given sight to the blind and speech to the dumb and hearing to the deaf, along with other such works of gracious miracle, so it is always. Whenever Jesus comes to a locality or community or individual, he comes to do good, to make wrongs right, to supplant vices and implant virtues, to banish banish sadness and bring gladness. He comes to heal souls, to remedy their spiritual maladies, to cure the ugly sores of social life, to cleanse the moral leper, to set free the sin enslaved, to expel the unclean spirit, to drive away the fever of unholy passion. He comes to enlighten the inwardly blind, to make the weak strong, to strengthen the de- straighten the deformed. He comes to infuse new life, new fragrance, new wholeness everywhere. Yes, that is always what happens when he draws near. The pity in Mark 5 is that the Gerasenes were self-blind to it. The tragedy today is that most people are still blind to it. You remember that last week after the great miracle of the healing of this man who they witnessed was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, they say, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you here. Wow, that's just such a stark and scary part of the story. Jesus, it seems, operated with, as one commentator says, a love hermeneutic. Hermeneutics is the... Uh, understanding of Scripture and, and designation of Scripture. And when Jesus was brought to a crisis, he responded in love, a love hermeneutic. So as he responds in love and compassion, sometimes he ignores the rules. He ignores some of the codes of the day. Now, he had a reason to enforce and did enforce the moral codes. But like in this case, what we're going to read about today, the woman that touches him is unclean. That means he became unclean. But he said nothing about it. So, let's read. I'm picking up the reading at uh, Mark 5 and verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, maybe to Capernaum, 
A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the syn- then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came when he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, "My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live." And so Jesus went with him. Jairus is a very famous person. He is the synagogue leader, the ruler of the synagogue. He's probably very wealthy, and he feels every compulsion to address Jesus with his need. Much like the demoniac came and ran to Jesus when he saw him and fell at his feet, Jairus does as well. But as we read on, (laughs) we read about a different person large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, (laughs) her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? (laughs) You see the people crowding against you, the disciples? answered, and yet you can ask, who touched you? (laughs) But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What a story. It's such a great story, I'm telling you it again. In 2010, I preached this text, and I couldn't come up with a new outline. So if you were here in 2010, it's the same outline, but there's different muscles in it, okay? (laughs) I just have to say that in case somebody's keeping notes and I'm gonna hear about it later. There's a really strong word used in the text. And um, it is um, the Greek word mastix. It's used six times in the Bible. Three times it is used to describe the literal scourging of someone's body. When somebody, they take a whip and they've got stones and glass in it and they whip someone's back. But Mark uses it three times. He uses it twice in this story and he used it in chapter 3 and verse 10 to describe the affliction to describe how desperately this woman needed help. It's like her life was being scourged. It's like she's being whipped. So it's a metaphor of her story. Let's examine the woman's steps of faith. Her condition without Jesus, her connection with Jesus, her confession to Jesus, and then her confirmation from Jesus. As we just read, 
physically, her condition was just desperate. She had been subject to hemorrhage for 12 years. 12 years. 12 years. It's no wonder that Mark says she suffered greatly. Her experiences for those 12 years have just been excruciating and difficult. Um, Even the Buddha understood that life is suffering. (laughs) He says in this quote, have compassion for all beings, rich and poor alike. Each has their suffering. Some suffer too much, others too little. The Buddha didn't really offer a whole lot of help. He couldn't offer a complete cure. What he offers is meditation to somehow deal with your suffering. In some ways, it's like an escape into denial, it seems to me. In another quote, he says, mindfulness puts an end to such limited perspective. The Buddha faced his own suffering directly and discovered the path of liberation. Don't run away from things that are unpleasant in order to embrace things that are pleasant. Put your hands in the earth, face the difficulties, and grow into new happiness. Well, what he offers is just a mental exercise to try to deny that you're suffering. And really, that's the best the Buddha could do. And that's what Eastern religion offers. Jesus has a much more all-inclusive impact in someone's life. So we look at how she's suffering materially. The poverty that was caused by her paying doctor's bills is appalling. Every time she goes to a doctor, of course, she has to pay for it and it hasn't helped her. And in fact, one com- a couple commentators actually start talking about what the Talmud says. Now the Talmud is the recordings of rabbis and what rabbis were teaching. Okay, so it's a very large volume and it has all kinds of different subjects addressed and everything else. So in the Talmud, here's some of the cures suggested by the rabbis to cure women who are hemorrhaging. It's a good thing you're seated. Drink a goblet of wine with rubber and alum powder mixed with flowers. That'll do it. Eat roasted Persian onions and shout at the top of your lungs, Arise out of your flow of blood! Carry an ostrich egg in a piece of cloth. Here's my favorite. You ready? Fish oak splinters out of cow dung and then swallow them. I mean, we're talking about first century medicine, and uh, that's about the best the rabbis had to offer, and this woman had tried them all, and maybe more. And sadly, her material poverty and her physical strains no doubt affected her emotions. She is just desperate. She is being whipped. And and her situation is growing worse. And just imagine how desperately emotionally distraught she was. But perhaps her greatest embarrassment is spiritual. Because she is unclean. Leviticus 15, if you want to read about it, said a woman in flow 
is unclean. She's been unclean for 12 years. She can't go to temple. And I'm thinking to myself, how would people know? But Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, says they knew. They kept records about it. And that's, that's kind of sad in a way, isn't it? But she's like a leper. I mean, she is not allowed. And even what she was doing walking in the crowd is illegal to some degree. And the desire to touch Jesus, that's desperately appalling. Because the moment she touches him, he becomes unclean. When I was in seminary, I got on a plane one day, and this delightful young lady sat next to me, started telling me about all her accomplishments. And then she noticed I was reading a book, and she said, what's that book? And I said, oh, it's a book about how Jesus Christ transformed a primitive tribe. It's called Peace Child. She wasn't too impressed. And so she turned to me and she said, isn't Christianity just a crutch? To which I said, it might be, but everybody's limping. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that was a good answer or not. I thought it was pretty good, so that's why I'm telling you about it. It impressed her. She got up and went to another place in the plane. She did. She actually went to sit with her friends. But I did notice, and this is so funny, before the plane landed, she came back to her seat. And what did she want to talk about? Spiritual things. It's really interesting. Well... There's a heartache in every chair, every one of you. Every one of us is facing something that's really difficult. And maybe today you feel scourged. You feel like you're getting whipped by life. That's what this woman felt like. And you're desperate for a 100% cure. You don't want just a Band-Aid. You need something that's going to really help you, that can really provide answers. And without Jesus... We're going to remain desperate. We're going to remain in danger. We're going to be continuously bankrupt before God. That was this woman's condition without Jesus Christ. But it's the condition of everyone without Jesus Christ. So, she makes a connection with Jesus. And I love the way that the text describes it in the words that it uses. First, she heard about him. She heard about him. Now, I don't know how she heard about him. I don't know if somebody gave a testimonial to her, said, hey, you know, I saw Jesus. I watched him cure this leper, or I saw the demoniac sitting in his right mind. I don't know how the story got to her, but it came through a human voice. She heard about Jesus, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So then she began to think about it. She began to ponder it. Matthew says she talked to herself. You ever talk to yourself? You don't have to raise your hand. I know you do. But what are you saying to yourself? Well, she's pondering the possibility that Jesus Christ has what she really needs. And because of the testimony of others, she she comes to the conclusion, if I just touch him, I'll be saved. I'll be healed. He has the power and he has the compassion. But you know, too many people ignore the testimonies. They don't want to hear about it. 
They forget about it. They'll say, oh, well, if it works, it might work for you. It ain't going to work for me. How do you know unless you try? How do you know unless you reach out to the Lord Jesus? And so she acted. Because faith without works is dead. Right? She acted. She didn't just think about it. She didn't just hear about it. And imagine the excuses she could have come up with. Oh, he's too busy. Hey, he's, he's dealing with Jairus right now, and evidently there's a 12-year-old little girl who's dying. I mean, he, she could have come up with a million excuses, and people do it all the time, of why they won't connect with Jesus. And really, it's sad, isn't it? It really is sad. I mean, it, it grieves us. So she sneaks up on him. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she doesn't want to be noticed. But her eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. She's not looking at anybody else in the crowd. When she touches him, he becomes unclean and she becomes clean. <laughs> Instantaneously, Mark loves the word, right? We've said he uses it 40 times. Immediately, immediately, the spring of blood in her dried up. That's the language he uses to describe it so very carefully. And, and it's all stated in tenses that mean she is healed and she is forever healed. She's not going to have to come back tomorrow. You know, she got in the arena. John Proctor exhorted us, those of you who are there at the men's breakfast, get in the arena. Start being a person of faith. She did it. She, in all of her distress and all her weakness, she reaches out and touches Jesus. Others said, I'm going to wait until he touches me, not her. I'm going to touch him. She was set free. This is the only place in the Gospel of Mark where Mark uses the word healed. It's the only time. Because this story is so dramatic. She is forever free from the scourging, the whipping of this hemorrhaging that she'd been experiencing. How many of you, if I asked you, and I do want to show of hands in this one, if I was to say, I learned about Jesus from the testimony of somebody else. How many of you? How many of you? Yes, I, I think almost every hand could go up, don't you think? Somehow, that's how I first heard about Jesus. Somebody else talked to me about him. They shared a testimony. And that's why testimonials are so important. So very important. Do you remember the first time you felt his touch? Do you remember what it was like when you were desperate and you were without hope and you were distraught and, and you didn't know where to turn? And then he found you. And you found him. You see, that's what people need. That, that's what this woman wanted to experience. And if you're not sure if you've ever experienced, why not? Let's make sure today. Let's reach out to him today. Don't put it off any longer. I thought of this as I was reading this story, and I thought about this incredible story in the book of Acts about the king. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. 
Your great learning is driving you insane. He was talking about the resurrection. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. (laughs) King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God on my five faves list that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. How many people do you know are almost persuaded? They're almost persuaded. Maybe you're sitting here today. You're almost persuaded, but you've never actually really tested You've never really asked Jesus. You've never really reached out to him. Why not? Why not? It's a scary place to be. So, we continue with the story. Again, at verse 30, Mark can't help himself. At once, immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Now, this is the only time in the Gospels you read that phrase. There's never another place where it says Jesus realized power had gone out from him except in this story. And it happened immediately. And so he asked that question, who touched me? There is such power in touch. You know, somebody came up with five love languages. One of them is physical nearness and touching. There's such power in touch. Even though this is a big crowd and, you know, the disciples are basically like, a lot of people touched you. But no, no, one person touched me and I felt power go out. When I was with Rod Hunter, tragically, and I started to sing to him, as I told you last week, and he went home to be with Jesus, I touched him. I was was rubbing his shoulder. There's just such power in it. And, and, and Jesus knew power had gone out. And then with his eyes, he keeps searching. He didn't stop just because they said, who touched him? Well, how can you ask that question? It didn't stop Jesus. He's still looking around. Does Jesus know who touched him? Of course he does. So he's drawing her out because he doesn't want her just to experience his power. She, he wants her to experience him face to face. And, you know, it's one thing to touch him and feel his power, but now I'm face-to-face with him, right? Because as the story goes, um, she knew she couldn't hide anymore. (laughs) She knew what had happened to her. She knew it was real. And so she bows down at his feet as an act of worship, And with fear and trembling, she tells her story. We can understand why she would be in fear, in worship, recognizing, man, I've never met anybody like this before. And trembling, practice, you know, trembling. It's just such an emotional moment for her. 
And then she just tells the whole truth. She doesn't leave any details out. And imagine what that testimony was like for Jesus to hear, for her to repeat and experience again the joy and the exhilaration of that moment, for the crowd to hear it, for Jairus to hear it. You see, everybody was affected by that testimony. I'm glad he asked her to to say it because he drew her out so she would speak. What keeps us from sharing the reason for the hope we have? Whatever it is, it's not a valid excuse. Now listen, don't make it complicated. You don't have to, you know, preach the whole book of Romans to somebody. Thank God. You don't even need the Romans road. Just share what Jesus is doing for you. Talk about, you know, it might be so simple to say, you know, I've been praying for you. That might open a door of amazing conversation. You don't know. I don't know. But if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to tell others about him. Because we know that meeting him changed everything for us. Our personal story is important. People do need to hear it. And they're not going to hear from someone else. They need to hear from you. When you have opportunity, you can do it in a very relaxed way. You don't have to yell and scream like I do. You really don't. And God will orchestrate circumstances to give you opportunity. He will. As I was reading this, I also thought of the Apostle Paul. This is the, the Apostle Paul. We're talking about the guy who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, whose life was dramatically changed, who's a missionary and a church planter and all this. And look at what he says about when he went into Corinth. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what people need to hear about. They need to hear about Jesus. All right, that's what they need to hear. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. It's the exact same words to describe this woman. The exact same words. And this is the Apostle Paul. He might be the greatest preacher ever. And he came with fear and trembling into Corinth. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. Amen, that that is really such a blessing. You know, I'm thinking about my first sermon. Oh, 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 1983, I'm the pastor, I have to preach. I said, my text is the Bible, because I was afraid I'd run out of stuff. (laughs) I don't have that problem today. Anyway, um, anytime you might be called to speak about Jesus and give a testimony, you might find yourself trembling a bit. It's okay. Sometimes that trembling might communicate a genuineness that people will listen and maybe start pondering and then act and touch a hem of his garment for themselves. So, The confirmation is the last part of the story. He said to her daughter, he doesn't address anybody else's daughter, nowhere else in the scripture, but when he says the word daughter, 
He's calling her a family member. Do you remember earlier back in Mark when his family showed up? And, and they say, your family's at the door. And he says, no, 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 my family are the people that do the will of my father. And she was done the will of the father, right? She reached out to Jesus. She connected with him. And so he, he talks about her past. He says, your faith has saved you. And again, it consistently marks using this tense. It's a perfect tense in Greek. And it means that the event has happened and it will forever have results, you see. And that's what's so significant about it. Go in peace. Shalom. You really have peace now. You, you got wholeness and peace in every dimension. And you have been freed from your suffering forever. The whipping has stopped with regard to this hemorrhaging that you've experienced. Your torment has ended once for all time and you are now forever free. The mastics is done. Are you facing such scourging in life? You're sitting here today and you're saying, man, I'm like that woman. I need to hear a promise from Jesus. I need to hear a confirmation, something like what she experienced. Because I'm desperate. Now, none of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but you're really feeling it. Jesus, I, I could spend the rest of the day talking about this, but what are some of the confirmations he gives? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Have courage. Be strong. I have overcome the world. I mean, that's just a few examples. We could go on and on. I don't know how Jesus wants to speak to you today, but I know he wants to speak. Are you going to listen? See, can you ask him for ears to really listen? And when he does speak or when he does encourage you or help you, tell others. They need to hear your testimony. I suspect we're going to be doing this in heaven forever. Man, I remember this time, Jesus, you know, that kind of thing. So you better practice now. Hmm. We'll save that for next week. <laughs> How should we emulate this woman's walk of faith? Think about it. She recognized she was desperate without the Lord. And then she made connection. And then she gave a confession. <laughs> and then Jesus made confirmation. I don't know what your story is. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was thinking to myself, like, okay, so if I, if I just to come down and say, okay, so how does this story illustrate initial salvation? Say, man, I mean, that's, that's everybody's story. Every one of us who've come truly and connected with Jesus by faith came because we were desperate. Came because we didn't have the answers. And we were, we were without hope and we were searching and we were bankrupt maybe. And, and people had said swallow splinters and it didn't work and whatever. But we made that connection. We said, it's not enough to just think about it or hear every other's testimony. I want to experience for myself. And so you spoke out to Jesus. 
I mean, you say, I don't know how to pray. It doesn't matter. Whatever size faith you have, it's enough <laughs> if you'll reach out to him. And, and, and he's going to confirm that. He, he's going he's to confirm it in your life. Now, I also think that this story is a lot like sanctification. Once you trust Christ, there are seasons where you feel whipped. There are seasons where you're right back at that same place of feeling desperate. And what do you do? You connect with Jesus. You see how it fits? It's such a great story. I hope we did it justice. Because we're now at the end. But it's not the end for you. <laughs> I want us to just bow our heads quietly where you're seated. I want you to just think about this story. And I want you to think about how it applies to you today. Please don't think you can hide from Jesus your pain, your whippings, your scourgings, whether they be physical or material or emotional or spiritual, whatever they are. He knows you better than you know yourself. But speak to him just quietly in your heart. Say, Lord, I, I need a fresh touch today. I'm a lot like that woman. And now thank him. Thank him quietly in your heart that he has the answer you need. He is the Savior. The Savior. He didn't come to this world to condemn the world. He didn't reprimand this woman for touching him though she was unclean. He met her in her need. And he'll meet you and yours. So thank him. Maybe you don't feel it yet. That's okay. But be ready to experience again shalom peace. Lord, I just thank you that you're a God who hears desperate cries for help. You're a God who gives hope to the hopeless. You're a God who can heal every dimension of our lives. And Lord, today, we are just thanking you that you are our God and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.